Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org. After I got back from Afghanistan, I learned that you've got to do maintenance on your mind, like daily, constant maintenance on your, and on your spirit as well. And I didn't know how to do it before. I'd never even heard of it before. But I learned how to do it. And so I do that constantly now. Post-traumatic stress disorder comes in when that stress is so influential that it actually keeps you from living a normal life. It actually keeps you from progressing and living life the way that you <clears throat> that you want to. Your brain doesn't know the difference between a flashback or a nightmare of the trauma that happened and the thing actually happening again. All the same emotions that happened, the same reactions that happened the, the first time, they happen again. And I have noticed with a lot of the soldiers that I work with that their symptoms are getting worse over time. Those who are not getting help, those who are not uh, getting the counseling or the therapy that they need, their symptoms are getting worse. In fact, I know some Vietnam vets who have been living with their trauma for decades and decades. And some of their symptoms get so bad that they can't operate in, in normal society. Some of them don't even want to leave their houses. If you find yourself having a mental or emotional reaction to something that is really big on a scale of one to 10, maybe it's a, a six or higher, and the, the activating event or the trigger was maybe a two, well, that's, that's something, that's a symptom that you can't ignore. The reality is that when you find a weakness, you work on it, you strengthen it. Uh, when you find that you've been injured, you, you go through physical therapy or with emotional and mental injuries, you go through the necessary mental, emotional therapy, and you make that weak spot into a strong spot. So in the military, we're trained to maintain our weapons, keep them clean, keep them oiled, keep them ready. You maintain yourself, your body, you do a lot of exercise, you stay healthy. But after I got back from Afghanistan, I learned that you've got to do maintenance on your mind, like daily, constant maintenance on your, and on your spirit as well. And I didn't know how to do it before. I'd never even heard of it before. But I learned how to do it. And so I do that constantly now. Post-traumatic stress disorder, there's post-traumatic stress with most people actually experience it. Most civilians actually experience it. Uh, you have some traumatic, you have a car accident, you, your spouse wants a divorce, you, as a, as a child, you move from one school to a new school. All sorts of things can be traumatic to people. And post-traumatic stress is the stress that's caused by dealing with the after effects of that trauma. Uh, the disorder comes in when that stress is so influential that it actually keeps you from living a normal life. It actually keeps you from progressing and living life the way that you, <clears throat> that you want to. It's not entirely accurate. The title, post-traumatic stress disorder, is not entirely accurate. Uh, the word post is not accurate. With me and a whole bunch of other of my brothers and my sisters, and I have dealt with and I've counseled with hundreds and hundreds. 
it's not post-traumatic at all. Because the injuries are mental and emotional, it's, it's in here. And so a more correct title would be ongoing traumatic stress disorder. Every time they have a nightmare, every time they have a flashback, every time that they just, you know, zone out for a little bit, their mind is replaying that trauma that happened. Your brain doesn't know the difference between a flashback or a nightmare of the trauma that happened and the thing actually happening again. All the same emotions that happened, the same reactions that happened the, the first time, they happen again. And I have noticed with a lot of the soldiers that I work with that their symptoms are getting worse over time. Those who are not getting help, those who are not uh, getting the counseling or the therapy that they need, their symptoms are getting worse. In fact, I know some Vietnam vets who have been living with their trauma for decades and decades. And some of their symptoms get so bad that they can't operate in, in normal society. Some of them don't even want to leave their houses. If you've been in combat, go and talk to somebody. And if you find out that your symptoms are very slight, great. If you find out that your symptoms are surprisingly severe, like I did, then it's still good that you went in there. Some of the symptoms are having emotional reactions that are not in, that are out of proportion to, to the trigger. If you find yourself having a mental or emotional reaction to something that is really big on a scale of one to 10, maybe it's a, a six or higher, and the, the activating event or the trigger was maybe a two, well, that's, that's something, that's a symptom that you can't ignore. If your kids are making noise in the back seat while you're driving down the freeway and you scream at them to be quiet and then you just, you just zone in and every muscle in your body is tense as you're checking every you know, possible threat out there, that is a reaction of like a eight, nine or 10 to a trigger of, of one or two. In Afghanistan, driving down the road, a pile of trash on the side of the road it could just be a pile of trash or it could be, you know, a double stacked anti-tank mine It's going to take out you and the two trucks behind you and level your entire team. And so you have to be prepared for every pile of trash being a bomb. Um, every old abandoned car on the side of the road could be a massive vehicle-borne IED. Every, every time you see a rope or a cord or a wire, an antenna, that seem in, in a place where they shouldn't be, that sets off alarms in your head and you use that to to keep your brothers alive and to keep yourself alive and you can't just turn it off immediately when you come home um, and so <laughs> uh, a pile of trash or tumbleweed on the side of the highway it's it's hard not to change lanes it's hard not to try to stop um, it's hard not to yell out to your kids in the back seat to brace themselves. It's hard not to, you know, scream out IED uh, when you see something that isn't right. I remember one time taking my kids uh, to the mall and walking from the entrance of the mall back to the food court. 
at first they were laughing and playing and, and uh, having a good time with each other. And by the time we got back to the food court, I didn't notice it right away, but we went and sat down at a table and then I noticed that they were not laughing anymore. Uh, they weren't playing around. They were totally quiet and they're just staring at me. And then I paid attention to what I was doing and they were all sitting in a table at the very furthest corner of the food court away from everybody else. And I was standing with my back to them facing the whole crowd in, in the mall in this busy food court. And uh, my fists were balled up, white knuckles, and I'm just given this death glare. I can only imagine what it must have looked like to everybody passing by. And people would start walking toward us and they would see me and they would stop and they'd walk around in this big circle you know, just to throw away their, you know, their tray of, of garbage into the, into the trash can. And that was one of the indicators uh, to me that I was not doing as great as I thought I was uh, with adapting to coming home and that I, I, I should probably look into um, getting some counseling or getting some sort of help to, to make those changes that I needed to make. I wouldn't describe it as hard, I just didn't believe it. I just didn't think that I needed that help because I had been, you know, honestly, for, for a few years after I got back from Afghanistan in 2009, um, I, was, I was a leader, I was helping my soldiers deal with their issues. Some of them obviously had some trauma that they were dealing with, others, you know, things didn't go so well at home in their families or in their marriages and they were dealing with, you know, trying to salvage the wreckage of that. Doing a lot of counseling and taking care of other soldiers. And I really thought that I was, I really thought that I was handling everything pretty well. I had some friends of mine in, in my unit uh, who came and said, they, they, they told me that they recommended that I come go into a vet center, go into the vet center and, and meet with the counselor. And I, I didn't really take them seriously. I, I was grateful for their friendship and I thanked them for caring about me and worrying about me. I just didn't believe that, it, that I needed any sort of help like that. And so, uh, but I went home and I, and I told my wife about what my buddies had said. And she said, oh yeah. She said, yeah, I've known that for a long time. And so I went into a vet center and I sat down and started talking with these counselors and they started asking me questions that I'd never asked myself. And I heard myself answering these questions and it sounded like somebody else. I was actually talking for the first time, remembering for the first time since it had happened. A lot of the things that I'd gone through in Afghanistan, I'd never thought about it since it, since it happened. I had to either accept it or reject it. And I had too much evidence to reject it, but if I accepted that I had post-traumatic stress or, or the disorder, it felt like I was broken. And so my concern with accepting this, the mental injuries and the emotional injuries is that maybe my guys would not be able to feel like they could trust me, and then that means that I failed them.
and then how can you do the job anymore? I was wrong, by the way. That is the fear. That's not, it's not the reality. We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum. The reality is that when you find a weakness, you work on it, you strengthen it. Uh, when you find that you've been injured, you, you go through physical therapy or with the emotional and mental injuries, you go through the necessary mental, emotional therapy, and you make that weak spot into a strong spot. And the vet center is an excellent place to go because a lot of soldiers are worried about if they are given a, a diagnosis of PTSD, if they are, if they find out that they're not 100% or that there's, that there's actual injuries that took place, not just physical but emotional and psychological injuries that took place in war, which always happens, then uh, they're worried that that's going to go on their record. They're worried that's going to affect their promotion ability. They're worried that's going to affect their careers negatively. And the vet center doesn't report any of that stuff uh, that you talk to them. It all stays in-house right there. So I highly recommend everybody to go to a vet center. Two of the worst things that veterans do when they get back from a deployment is that they live without a mission. They don't have a commander telling them everything that they need to do anymore. And, and they live without their team. Everybody who comes back, everybody, every human being needs an A-team. Uh, um, it's kind of military speak, an A-team is your go-to guys. They are, they are the, the close-knit team that work, works like a well-oiled machine. They know how to do their job. They're really good at it. Everybody needs to surround themselves with an A-team, make themselves part of an A-team. If it's your family, great. If it's your group of friends, great. But it's got to be there. And it turns out how people work is that what drives their actions and their words, their deeds, is their emotions. Okay, the brain, the, the intellect, informs you in, in what to say, what to think. But what makes you go and do it, and the way that you do it, is all governed by your feelings, all governed by your emotions. In order to truly make my family safe with me, because the fear was that they were not safe with me, maybe the side of me that I developed out in war, maybe that would peek out. And then they'd find out and then it'd destroy trust and all that stuff. And so that was the fear. In order to remove that risk, I had to remove the emotions that would drive such an action. In order to remove the emotions, I had to change the way that I thought about things. Uh, which meant going back and creating new ideas and new beliefs about the, the difficult or the traumatic things that I had seen and that I had experienced so that I would react differently to it. See, that's how it works with people with, uh, with post-traumatic stress is that they still harbor fear or sadness or anger over things that happened a long time ago. In their brains, that 
that video of what happened, it gets up to that horrible moment. It comes right up to the worst, most intense time, and then it pauses. And it's just like freeze frame, it just stays stuck. That image is stuck in your brain and emotionally you continue to react to that. But that's not the reality, that's not the truth. The world didn't stop turning in that moment. Uh, one of my friends that I lost in Afghanistan <clears throat> was lost in a pretty horrible way. And I had to very consciously and with, with a lot of effort, I had to get myself to go back and realize that I had, I had stopped playing that scene right there at that worst moment. But the scene didn't actually stop there, just that image was stuck in my head. And I had to pick it up from where it stopped and I had to force myself, because my brain didn't want to, I had to force myself to keep playing the video. What happened next? Okay, what happened next? All right, what happened an hour after that? What happened after that? To convince my brain that the story actually continued. And also I had to change the way that I believed, the way that I thought about the event. Because the truth is that my buddy is not stuck in that moment. He's not still there, he's not still suffering, he's not in pain, he's not hurting, he's not scared. My buddy's not there anymore, it's been, it's been years, but even just minutes, just moments after he was killed, he wasn't there. And I didn't know that I'd been believing this, but I had been living and reacting to it as if it was still going on. So what I, what I did is I would, every time that I would remember that, every time I would have a dream about it, I forced my brain to finish the story until it became automatic. The whole story played out, not just stopping at that event, not just stopping at that moment. And the story changed from, from the most horrible thing in the world happening to that happened and then, and then he moved on. My belief system, he's still alive in heaven right now. And heaven seems to be a place that people want to get to, probably happy up there. They're probably smiling, doing stuff that they want to be doing. And that is what I respond to now. I can still, I allow myself to feel emotions about what happened then, but I also allow myself to feel emotions about what's happening now. And what's happening now is good stuff. Um, that for some, somehow, that kind of broke up these emotions that had like solidified inside of me. It was almost like, like a frozen lake or something like that, like ice on a lake. Somehow that all broke up and it allowed it to move again. And those old beliefs and those old emotions were allowed to just kind of flow out and they've been replaced with new ones. Uh, that's the process of healing. That's, that's what has to happen in everybody. And I don't know if it'll work the same way with everybody, but I've seen it work that way with a lot of people. It takes maintenance, mental and emotional maintenance on all that stuff. And I didn't know how to do it before. I'd never even heard of it before. 
but I learned how to do it. And so I do that constantly now by, by always checking and adjusting my beliefs. Is this belief still accurate? Was it ever accurate? Um, how is it serving me? Because I know that my emotions are going to react to whatever my belief is, whatever my thought or my interpretation is of everything that happens. My emotions are going to react to that and then my body is going to react to my emotions. So I go to that point of control and I manage my thoughts. A lot of spouses when you come home from combat, and I'm just speaking to other combat veterans, male and female, a lot of spouses, they want to reconnect with you and they think that they have to know everything that you went through in order to reestablish a connection because before you left, you did a lot of things together. You always talked about all your plans, everything that happened. You'd come home at the end of the day and kind of do a data dump with each other so you get on the same page. And so they think they need to do that again when you get back from combat, but that's actually not necessary. You don't have to share all the crap that you went through in order to reconnect with your, with your spouse. And there is actually something called oversharing. For those people who are able to bring themselves to talk about what they've been through, which is most people, it's not that they don't, they can't. Okay, so spouses can understand that, hopefully. They just can't talk about it. You brothers and sisters out there in uniform, you combat vets, you're never going to be the person that you were before you left home. Your family is not going to get back the same husband or wife. They're not going to get back the same mom or dad that left them a couple years ago to go out to combat. And that's not a bad thing, okay? You can't move back, you can't ever become what you used to be, but you can move forward and become what you want to be. You don't need to connect with your family members over what happened in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever you went. You can connect with your family members over all the stuff that you still have in common, that you still care about, that you still love together and you just start building immediately when you get back, okay? What happens, a lot of times families or couples, they'll feel this space between them that's been created by you developing in one direction and them continuing to develop in a different direction. And they let that kind of stand between them and they feel like they can't connect until they close up that gap. If you wait, it's gonna make that, that space greater. Don't wait. Just start connecting over little things, your favorite kind of food. Um, start connecting over little things that you enjoy doing. Going on, on walks or exercise or watching movies or cooking or whatever it is. Start with that little stuff and just trust that the big stuff is going to fall back into place. Because it will. It will. And just like you cannot be the same person, you can't have the same life. And you'll never have the same relationship that you used to have. You're going to have a new one. You're going to build a new one, the one that you want. You're going to build a better one, a stronger one for what you've been through. And you start out with small steps and you experience the success of those small little connections that you make. And that success will give you confidence to build bigger connections. 
and pretty soon you'll have a stronger relationship than you had before and you don't have to go over all the stuff with them that you experienced. You need to process that, but they don't necessarily have to be part of it. They don't need to receive what's called secondhand PTSD. Okay, you go and you talk to counselors and therapists who are trained to deal with that type of thing. And so your family will be safe, they'll be healthy, you will be healthy, you'll be safe. You build a new family, a new relationship, and you're going to be okay. You're going to be great. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.